Life Skills 101, Skills for a Digital Age, sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North offers live online classes, clubs, ebooks, and more. From special needs to parent classes, True North builds a community through digital format in an age of loneliness and desolation. Our host, Lisa Nearing, is a homeschooler with five kids who was homeschooled with her husband, Dr. David Nearing, for 27 years. They are committed to equipping fellow homeschoolers and Christians with the tools they need to navigate a complex world in need of a savior. Now, without further ado, Lisa Neering. Hey everybody, this is Lisa Neering from True North Homeschool Academy. And I just want to remind you that you can find all of our classes and clubs, testing, advising, mom's membership, and more at truenorthhomeschoolacademy.com. We do offer live online, dynamic, interactive, small group classes so when your students take classes with us, they're not in a they're not in a Zoom room full of 100 people. We keep our class sizes small so that the students get to know both the teacher and their fellow students. We um, use a lot of different technology to make the classes dynamic and interactive, including presentations, projects, breakout rooms, virtual whiteboards, and more. Um, we like to say that we use time-tested educational pedagogy coupled with cutting-edge technology to bring the best educational opportunities to your students in, in the privacy of your own home. We do provide syllabus and grading for all classes. Um, clubs are more relaxed, so we don't provide syllabus or grading for those, but you can certainly use our clubs for the transcripts, and we'd love to help you know how to do that. Stay tuned this year, 2022, for some exciting new um, classes and clubs being offered by True North M School Academy. Um, we're also going to be offering an honor club, dual enrollment, and so much more. We are honored to partner with you as you homeschool your children. Again, check out truenorthhomeschoolacademy.com, and thanks for listening to today's podcast. Well, hey, everybody. It's Lisa from True North Homeschool Academy, and I'm here with Anna Naub. Hello. And Anna is one of our amazing teachers at True North Homeschool Academy. We are here to talk to you this morning about Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so if you see Anna like jumping out of her seat, it's because she's like a Shakespeare person. And Love it. we have done a lot of Shakespeare in our homeschool. Our kids were in Shakespeare camps for years. They've actually memorized plays. It is such great learning. But Anna, tell us, how did you get excited about Shakespeare and why? Why do you think it's something everybody needs to study? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I did grow up going to public school and the public school that I went to uh, had you read a Shakespeare each year. Uh, and so my introduction, as most students, was Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. uh, that year, we also read Othello because I was in honors. Uh, my sophomore year, we did Julius Caesar. My junior year, we did Hamlet, wow. uh, which I'm actually going to be teaching as our summer class. Yeah, uh, Hamlet. That's how I'm wiggling that one in. Um, and by my senior year, I knew I wanted to teach, but I wasn't sure what yet at that point. Wow. And I was very fortunate that my school offered a Shakespeare class. And it also happened that senior year of high school um, was also British literature. Mm -hmm. And I just had two of the most incredible English teachers that year. And I fell head over heels in love with Shakespeare. We did Macbeth. We did Midsummer Night. We did Much Ado. Um, we did As You Like It. And just, you know, all of the good ones, Henry V. And so I went to college 
saying, I'm going to teach Shakespeare. I want to be a college professor. I want to teach Harold Bloom and like do all of this stuff. I had big aspirations. And um, so I started going through the process of getting my education degree. And uh, as I was doing field experience at one of the other local high schools, uh, I had a teacher who was like, if you want to teach it, like you can. And so I fell in love with teaching freshmen Romeo and Juliet uh, <laughs> because I did, because that is most students' introduction to Shakespeare, right? Yeah, that's and true. I, I took that very seriously because you always hear the grumblings of like, oh, Shakespeare. Like, yeah. I hated how my teacher taught Shakespeare. It was so boring. I didn't understand it. It was, you know, it's like the people that are like, why learn Latin? It's a dead language. Yeah. Um, that's how it feels to a lot of students. Yeah. And so I made it my personal mission that even if they don't totally fall madly in love with Shakespeare, for my students to come out of doing Shakespeare, not hating it. Yeah. Which over the years, I feel like I've generally accomplished for the most part. Uh, and so I have just always loved Shakespeare. When I was teaching in public school, I had the opportunity to um, pitch some potential class ideas. And I had actually pitched um, a Shakespeare class and ended up doing the mom thing full time. So it didn't get to kind of happen. And so uh, this year, when we were talking about new classes and doing a class to kind of go along with um, Renaissance history, yeah. doing Shakespeare was absolutely a no-brainer. <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. I love it. So one of the things, I, I love categories and things because I think it just helps us understand better. Shakespeare's really, he has histories, comedies, and tragedies. Mm -hmm. Those are basically the genres of Shakespeare, right? Yes. And I think a lot of people are, what what would Romeo and Juliet fall under? Uh, Romeo and Juliet is definitely categorized under a tragedy because in typical Shakespeare fashion, if your name is the title, you die. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the red shirt of, of Star Trek. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is. That is a good one. Yes. That is funny. Okay. Yeah. So, Macbeth, yeah. name in the title, he dies. Yeah. Hamlet, okay. name in the title, he dies. <laughs> Othello, name in the title, he dies. Okay. This is a free one, everybody. There you go. <laughs> I love it. What do you, And what do you think about the whole idea that Shakespeare didn't actually write his plays? I know there's like huge controversy about that. And I, and you didn't even, I'm I didn't even prep with you my textbooks. <laughs> um, so I tend to be a Shakespearean purist. Um, and I do get a lot of that from Harold Bloom. For those who may not know, um, Harold Bloom is an incredible, incredible um, Shakespeare professor. I believe he was Yale. Um, he did pass away a few years ago. He wrote, uh, I kind of joke, it's like the Shakespeare Bible. It's called Shakespeare, the Invention of the Human. Mm. Um, and he goes through the different characters, but um, there is argument that Shakespeare maybe used some, um, like interns mm -hmm. for certain parts or components or aspects. It's nearly impossible to look at certain plays and say, oh, this is similar to this other play or this mm -hmm. other story. Um, even when Shakespeare was writing, you know, it's hard to kind of come up with original things, right? Yeah, um, but there is a consistency to Shakespeare 
um, a depth in his characterization, a growth in how he writes his characters. Um, that would be nearly impossible for somebody who wasn't Shakespeare to write. Okay. Um, the parallels between characters, without getting like really in depth here, yeah. um, the par the parallels between characters like Falstaff and then Hamlet being his own Falstaff, um, the editing of them. Shakespeare actually um, acted in his own plays. Uh, Shakespeare was known for actually playing the old guy or the ghost in oh plays. Oh my gosh. It's, he, it's like the, con it's Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so Shakespeare cool. often um, played the ghost in Hamlet yeah. uh, and, you know, different parts like that. And so when you kind of look at it broad spectrum mm -hmm. like that, yeah. Um, again, argument that there's maybe like, interns that threw ideas out or did things or you know borrowed mm -hmm. not plagiarized but you know borrowed right, ideas right. concepts from other things sure but generally I would say I am a Shakespeare purist and Shakespeare wrote his things okay <laughs> well I kind of been in that camp but I wondered what you thought you yeah know, gonna, for the people who are listening and aren't really super familiar with Shakespeare um one of the things you mentioned Harold Bloom talks about is Shakespeare um, and the invention of humans. And I love that idea. So for those of, of our listeners who aren't familiar with Shakespeare and how he really changed literature, yeah. unpack that idea for us just a little bit, because it's yeah. important. <laughs> it, it so is. And I think we've talked about this before in another one of our chats. Um, the argument there is that prior to Shakespeare, characters didn't necessarily have characterization. They didn't mm -hmm. have personalities. Right. Uh, and so we look at things like Beowulf. Mm -hmm. We see Beowulf. We know I taught Beowulf this year, right? We yeah. love Beowulf. We talked about that too. <laughs> um, and even biblically, we look at people and with very few exceptions, um, we don't see personality. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily see in our dialogue. Um, even in Canterbury Tales, it's moral. It's right and wrong. It, it's lessony. Um, whereas when you look at something like Hamlet or Macbeth, uh, or even Midsummer Night's Dream and Henry V, uh, there's motivation. There's that internal turmoil. There's, you know, I always think of Keanu Reeves as Iago in, um, much Ado About Nothing, which we're also reading, and it was one of my other favorites. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a personality and depth to characters yeah. that did not exist prior to Hamlet. Mm, yeah. um, and, or prior to Shakespeare, I should say. Yeah. Um, Hamlet just tends to be the one that is, I would say, the most glorified. Um, because it is often considered one of the most quote unquote perfect works that Shakespeare has done. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. So really literature changed with Shakespeare and it was, there was a lot of oral tradition, um, up until the Renaissance and, and like things just changed in the world, ergo the Renaissance. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think it's really important to, this is, this is in literature. Shakespeare is really a defining line between, you know, pre-Renaissance and post and how the world changed in literature then was pretty significant. Yeah. And even um, from a word standpoint, mm -hmm. Shakespeare right, right. invented right. 
almost more words than any other author. Uh, I think he's got Chaucer invented a lot. He's one of the first ones that we talk about when we're talking about English consistency and wordage. Um, but then Shakespeare, I think, has almost double what Chaucer had. Yeah. Uh, even silly things like vomit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for anybody listening who's weird about that word. Um, vomit is actually a word that like Shakespeare started using. And it's the first time it is seen in written text is actually in a Shakespeare wow. play. Um, And so people don't realize how many firsts Shakespeare had in his writing and in his plays just in word choice alone. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, that's a great point because he did, we are still using words that Shakespeare invented. I have a, um, on one of my pins from long ago, I have all the words that Shakespeare invented. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Look up that pin. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Um, So that actually. I, I think a Shakespeare class is good for anybody because it's such a, it, it really, it helps kids understand literature in a unique way. It's difficult reading because it's written in a different, well, a different dialect, I guess. I don't know. It's yeah. not really a different language wholly, but it's it early modern English. Is early modern. Yeah. And yep. so the kids have to really work and think, but they're learning literature analysis. They're going to build yep. their vocabulary, all those kind of things. So a Shakespeare class, we did it in Britlet when I was in high school. And I think it's just such an important part of anybody's typical course of study for high school, whether your kids are going on to college or not, because it's going to give them a good overview of the common culture and the great books. Um, And so that's really important. I think, tell us what your idea is about why should people read the classics like Beowulf and Shakespeare and all those things? (laughs) Um, Because they're fun. Honestly, they are. Uh, And it's really fun to see how they still live on in our modern culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I had my Austin Bronte kids do Um, or an option, I should say, that some of them chose, uh, was to watch an Austin adaptation. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't know is that Clueless is technically an Austin adaptation um, in a kind of twisty way. If you were to look up um, Austin adaptations or storylines, it's a lot of modern modern things. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that the Lion King is supposed, is like a parallel to uh, Hamlet. Um, There are a lot of old stories that just get rewritten, Mm -hmm. renewed. The storyline is pretty much the same. The characters just have new names and it's set in a different era, but it's, it still rolls. And it's always really fun to watch kids, the wheels turn in their head. Uh, in Beowulf, at the end, he goes to a treasure hoard guarded by a dragon. And all of my kids are like, Snow! It's Snow! Right? Yeah. Like, they're putting, and I'm like, well, you know what? It's so funny because yeah. Tolkien loved Beowulf. Yes. Tolkien has extensive commentaries on Beowulf yeah. and his own translation and notes. And so, um, I mean, obviously Tolkien has passed on, but you cannot read Beowulf and not go, oh my gosh, Tolkien used the same things from Beowulf in The Hobbit. Um, And that applies to Shakespeare and so many other works. And so classics are just, they're fun because it's the original, right? It's It's the the original original. text. 
Exactly. And you get to see how that's now been applied in our modern era. I love it. And the one thing, my dogs are barking on the porch because my husband just turned on the snowblower. So sorry. For that. <laughs> um, so one of the things I love about classes, it, classics for your kids to read them or to hear them, even books on tape, is that you're feeding their imagination. You're feeding it with really rich, powerful imagery and characters. And I mean, I, I've heard this argument for so many years. It doesn't matter what your kids are reading as long as they're reading. I do not believe that at all. I think that's really poor educational pedagogy. Yeah. And from a theological point of view, it's anti-biblical. So um, that's my opinionated two cents for that. But there's so much great literature and there's yeah. so many good adaptations of Shakespeare, like the Lamb's yeah. Book of Shakespeare. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, Usborne Books has a beautiful book of Shakespeare. And yeah. every story only takes like four to five pages. And the illustrations are just so rich and lovely. So you don't have to like get the big, heavy, I don't know what I'm doing yeah, thing yeah. and get into it. You can start really simply with like the Lamb's Book of Shakespeare, which is yeah. this beautiful little book of stories. And it's really there, fun to out loud. <laughs> there is a line of board books, actually. Oh. Um, they are called Baby Lit. And um, the baby ones are primers. And so we actually have, it's a counting book, one through 10, but with Romeo and Juliet. So it's oh, like five friends, Tybalt, Paris, the nurse, the friar. Um, and so we have that. But then the next step up is called Storybook Lit. Okay. And it is um, still classics. I'm looking at Sense and Sensibility on my floor here right now. Um, <laughs> and they are not quite like a full board book, but they're not paper either. They're kind of like a heavier cardstock. Yeah. Um, and they're a little longer and they have quotes from the book, but obviously very, very abridged. My five-year-old's favorite book is Pride and Prejudice. I love it. Good girl. That's she one of my favorite it. books. Of she's all so cute. And she's like, Mr. Darcy. Um, and they have those for the different Shakespeare's too. And it's just a really it. great way. You can introduce your tiny humans yes. to great literature and great classics. The resources are there. They are there. There's so many good things. I'll put some resources in the show notes. So if yes. you're listening to this on the podcast, check the show notes and I'll put them in um, the description for the video too. So um, any, and you are teaching this coming year um, yes. while well, both summer and fall um, yes. at North Home School Academy, you can go see the catalog for that. You, what are you teaching this summer? You're teaching Hamlet. Yep. Hamlet and 1984. Yep. Uh, which 1984 then goes with dystopian lit yeah. Hamlet. I, um, as I was sitting down to decide what plays to go over, um, we're doing Romeo and Juliet, Much Ado About Nothing, and Midsummer Night in the Fall. And mm -hmm. then in the spring, we are doing Henry V, Macbeth, and Merchant of Venice. Uh, wow. So we are doing six plays for the year. And there was no way, as you've probably been able to tell from this already, that I was going to get through it without having Hamlet as an option somewhere. Right. <laughs> and um, like dear Professor Dr. Carol Bloom, uh, I, too, have an absolute love for Hamlet. And I thought that it would be the perfect book to run as the literary discussion to be kind of the intro to Shakespeare, um, because I think that it's one that has depth enough to it to mm -hmm. have good discussion with. Yeah. Not that the other ones don't, 
Um, but it's one to really ruminate on yeah. and really pick apart and have those Socratic discussions with. Um, whereas the other ones are not light and fluffy by any means. We're starting with Romeo and Juliet because that's the one that most people are comfortable with. Right. If you've never read a Shakespeare, you know the story of Romeo and Juliet. Right. Um, and then we're moving into the comedies there with Much Ado and Midsummer Night's Dream. Two of my favorites. Both of the movies of those are actually really great, too. Um, Midsummer Night's Dream has Christian Bale in it, and he's such a little baby that he's, like, not even listed as a main actor. <laughs> he's got, like, he's got to be probably 17 or 18 when he's oh. in it. It's so cute. Um, and... So yeah, Hamlet over the summer, that's how I'm wiggling that one in. We're doing the other six. Um, can I talk about how we're structuring it? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Uh, so typically what I do is for each unit, um, along with our reading, we do four core kind of assessments. And yeah. so that's usually an essay, a presentation, um, some kind of unit test, and then a creative assignment. Mm -hmm. um, doing four major assignments while reading Shakespeare, while doing study guides, while trying to um, comprehend what they're reading. I love to challenge my students and I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. Um, and I will not challenge my students to failure. That's always yeah. my thing. Mm -hmm. I will challenge your student, but I'm not going to challenge them to the point where they can't succeed. Right. Uh, and so I am doing all of those things, but I'm spreading them out across the semester instead of for each book. Okay. Uh, because okay. what I also do is each act, I focus on something different. Mm. Um, so the first act of a book, it's just getting your feet wet. Yeah. What in the world is going on? Mm -hmm. Do I understand what the plot of the book is at this point? What is our setting? Who are our characters? What right. is the problem? Or, you know, just getting your bearings really right. is the first act. Um, usually in the second act, I get into characterization. Uh, Shakespeare is known as using the second act as kind of doing a lot of that character building. So mm -hmm. I do that in the second act. Mm -hmm. And then the third act, uh, I often do something like literary, uh, literary terms. So metaphor, alliteration, mm -hmm. uh, the different kind of Englishy things. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be using the Folger Shakespeare Library, which is my personal favorite most of the schools that I've taught for use it. Uh, and what's nice is on the opposite page of the play on every page, um, if there are any biblical references, they explain it. Wow. If there are certain words or phrases that you know aren't common to us, mm -hmm. they explain it. That's uh, and so it's just a really, it's a really good series to have, like even if, yeah. Just to have. Um, and so we kind of look more at those in the third act. Um, and then we usually wrap it up with themes. You know, mm -hmm. what is Shakespeare teaching us? What, what are the points of this? What are the causes and effects of things? Uh, and so they get study guides that go along with each of those acts. Um, I've taught most of these before, so I have extensive Notes, I usually help walk them through taking notes mm -hmm. as they're reading the different acts and scenes to make sure that they are understanding. Uh, and for me, if you're reading something but don't understand it, then it's useless. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't want you to memorize who a character is for the sake of memorizing a character. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand the character, you know? Um, And so that is why instead of, like I said, doing the four major assessments, three times over that's 12 major assessments in 15 weeks that I just not going to do that so we're going to spread it out a little bit um so they will still get those core assessments um but the the core of what this class will be is discussion and really getting an understanding for um Shakespeare his characters even historical context mm-hmm. uh people often refer to Shakespeare as Elizabethan and I mean I've got to tell you I am a huge Elizabeth the first fan I love the Tudors it's how I kind of got into Shakespeare honestly um but he's more James the first <laughs> and it, I, it breaks some people's heart, but he's a little more James. So um, just talking about that and, yeah. you know, in the Merchant of Venice, uh, we're going to be talking about, for those who don't know, um, it is a clash and a conversation about Judaism in Europe at that time, mm. honestly. Wow. Uh, and it's actually known as a comedy. Yes. Which blows people's minds because at the end, Shylock is forced to convert from Judaism and mm. Um, Al Pacino is actually Shylock in the movie version of it and just incredibly moving, incredibly moving. And we read it as a modern audience and and we weep that this man has been, you know, ripped away from his faith. Yeah. But historically, there would have been cheering. There would have been laughing. There would have been like, yay, you know, the the Jew is no longer a Jew kind of thing. And so really understanding the literary criticism of historical context um, is going to be really important in reading these because, you know, just like Merchant of Venice, um, there are components that would not, you know, be kosher or fly today. Um, There are aspects here, they live in in the Jewish ghetto. That is actually what ghetto means. It means foundry. That is where the first Jewish ghetto ever was. It was in um, Venice, where they were allowed to be because of all of the trading and commerce that happened in Venice. Um, and what was Shakespeare's commentary on that? What was he saying with writing this play about what was happening socially? Uh, and we even see that with things like Henry V and his histories. I would love to read all the histories. It would be super fun. Uh, but I picked Henry V because the St. Crispin's Day speech, man, like you just can't beat the Battle of Angicourt and the St. Crispin's Day speech. Um, that is actually, I think, one of my favorite Kenneth Brogan too. Uh-huh. Um, and again, just looking at why. Right, right. You know, the why and really delving into that analysis of who he thought people were, Mm -hmm. um, what the English people thought they were, their views of themselves. Uh, Henry V also has Falstaff's Seven Ages of Man, or Sir John, I think it is. Um, All the world's a stage, all the men and women nearly players. That is powerful. Yeah. You know, that is something that is truly, I've heard it quoted at funerals. Exactly. Um, And so I, I have like goosebumps. I'm like so excited to just get into this with the kids. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how it's going to be structured. We're going to be doing kind of some more of the lighter stuff in the fall. And then 
uh, like I said, we'll be doing Henry V, Macbeth, and um, we'll be wrapping up with Merchant of Venice. That's I love it. I love it. I, I love how you exemplified literature is such a great way to teach history. And it's such a great way to compare and contrast and contextualize for kids. And that is, honestly, to me, that's one of the most important things about helping your kids memorize, even if they don't memorize in a complete play, if they memorize certain passages or understand the context of St. Crispin's speech, they can make, they can make integrative strategic connections with history, with politics, with so many things, economics. And so I love how you're going to structure this class. I think it's going to be super exciting for the kids. So Yay. Um, Okay. So you're going to do Hamlet this summer. You're going to teach Shakespeare in the fall. You're also doing um, 1984 this summer, correct? And then dystopian literature again in the fall. And is that all that you're teaching? Austin Bronte. Oh, right, right, right. How can I forget? Austin Bronte again. (laughs) So if you guys missed it this year, it's happening in the fall and five o'clock. Well, okay. This is not live. So I'm going to, I was going to, I was sitting here going, we're on a Facebook live, but no, we're not. (laughs) Sorry for my listeners who are coming on later, um, but check the Facebook group because we have stuff going on in there all the time. Anna, thanks for joining me today. Um, this is yeah, Anna She's one of our amazing Lit and Comp teachers, and she teaches summer classes as well as full year fall classes. For um, for the Shakespeare and the Austin Bronte, you can take a semester at a time. We really encourage you to take the full, full year because um, it's so rich and so full of stuff. But if you have stuff in the fall and want to jump in the spring, we do have some students who do that. Um, so Anna, in last parting thoughts on Shakespeare for our listeners, what do you want them to really know and appreciate about Shakespeare? <laughs> oh gosh, so many things. Uh, he really was just ahead of his time. And I, like I said, it's just a lot of fun to teach kids um, that they're still worth in that. Yeah. And that there is worth in the words that he wrote and the lessons that he was teaching um, and the commentary that he was sharing for the time and, um, for somebody who was not well-traveled, yeah, you know, how incredible, uh, you can be and how much you can impact a world, um, with very little resources. Right. Actors and writers did not get paid very well, right. uh, when he was, uh, doing it and he has stood the test of time. And I think that that's a really cool Uh, thing for students to see too. That is a great ending note. Thanks for joining me today, Anna. Absolutely. Okay, you guys check the show notes and the other um, resources that we have for you and we will see you next time. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Hey everybody. This is Lisa Nearing from True North Homeschool Academy. And I just want to remind you that you can find all of our classes and clubs, testing, advising, mom's membership, and more at truenorthhomeschoolacademy.com. We do offer live online, dynamic, interactive, small group classes. So when your students take classes with us, they're not in a they're not in a Zoom room full of 100 people. We keep our class sizes small so that the students get to know both the teacher and their fellow students. We um, use a lot of different technology to make the classes dynamic and interactive, including presentations, projects, breakout rooms, virtual whiteboards, and more. Um, We like to say that we use time-tested educational pedagogy coupled with cutting-edge technology to bring the best educational opportunities to your students in in the privacy of your own home. We do provide syllabus and grading for all classes. Um, Clubs are more relaxed, so we don't provide syllabus or grading for those, but you can certainly use our clubs for the transcripts 
and we'd love to help you know how to do that. Stay tuned this year, 2022, for some exciting new um, classes and clubs being offered by True North M School Academy. Um, we're also going to be offering an honor club, dual enrollment, and so much more. We are honored to partner with you as you homeschool your children. Again, check out truenorthhomeschoolacademy.com. And thanks for listening to today's podcast. Thank you.